From years of anxiety to warrior and mentor, Bradley Robinson created the Anxiety Project to help you end your anxiety naturally. Let's mold the new you and let's end anxiety together. Hello, welcome to episode 239 of the Anxiety Project podcast. I am Brad Robinson. Today, I have a guest, Dr. Sean Sullivan, a licensed clinical psychologist and founder and CEO of One Perfect, a mental health and wellness platform that deliver, delivers personalized mindset shifting experiences called shifts. Now, I'm sure, well, if you're a human being, we all get caught in a negative emotional state. And some people are really good at shifting their emotions more than others because they've practiced it more and more. But that's the thing. How do we practice these mindset shifts? We need the right tools. We need to know from someone who's a professional, but also who has experience shifting their mindset to really undertake this this, uh, disciplinary action. So I think when you're shifting your mindset, you're moving from this a negative state into a more, uh, I'd, I'd say, you're looking at the experience from a different perspective. So you're in this negative emotional state, but how can we start to view this state as an opportunity rather than letting it overtake you and, and falling into a hopeless pit? So Sean is here to talk about how we can shift our mindset. And, and really, we talk about his app, and why this app is really useful for shifting your mindset. Now, Dr. Sullivan began his formal psychology education at Harvard University and completed it with a psychology residency at the University of Texas Health Sciences Center and postdoctoral training based at the University of California. He has since been featured extensively in national and international publications, including the New York Times, Forbes, and Huffington Post, to name a few. So today, I get to pick his brain about mindset shifting, and he's going to teach us how to shift into a better state of mind anytime with something he developed to solve this global problem unhappiness problem. So let's get into it. Here is Dr. Sean Sullivan. Dr. Sean Sullivan, welcome to the Anxiety Project podcast. I'm really excited to have you here today. Um, For anybody, everyone listening who doesn't know who you are, can you just please provide a little bit of background of what it is you do and how you got to the position you are in today and what you're doing today currently? Yeah, yeah, I'll try to do that concisely. Let's see. So I'm, <laughs> I'm a clinical. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat with you a little bit about all this uh, mental health related to anxiety, wellness related to anxiety, etc. I'm um, by training a clinical psychologist, and I've been at that for uh, 20 years or so now with grad school and research and all that. My um, entry into psychology was through research related to applying how do we apply technology to psychology so 20 years ago there wasn't a lot in that field but it seemed clear that technology would get better and better and it would be incorporated in psychology and so i did my research on that while becoming a psychologist and beginning to treat patients and starting a practice so i've had a practice for all these years since 
And in the meantime, have built a lot of technology products to support my patients in the practice and then also sort of do-it-yourself um, tools for people. So that might be, you know, the, one of the early ones was 21 days to master anxiety, 21 days to um, to focus on happiness, you know, tools like that. And that has evolved over time as I've um, learned largely from putting products out and seeing what worked and what didn't work. One of the main things I learned was that if people aren't aren't using a technology product, it's not working, no matter how well it worked in the lab or how good the data is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I focused a lot in this last uh, iteration, which hopefully we'll talk about today. It's called Shifts. Uh, a company called One Perfect, OnePerfectShift.com is where you can go to see it. And this is a tool that is really well engaged with. When people use it once, they continue to come back um, in general. And it's, I think, because it's a very specific and targeted tool. What it is, a shift is a short, typically digital experience that guides you through shifting into a better state of mind in five to 10 minutes anytime. And so you could identify I'm feeling sad or lonely or frustrated or anxious or I can't sleep, which has a lot to do with anxiety often. Um, or I'm unmotivated even. You want to maybe you're doing okay, but you want to really get into a good place. And within five to 10 minutes, the goal of this platform could be you get it on an app, could be that you get it on the web, but you're doing this digital experience and you're navigating into a better state of mind closer to where you wanted to be. And as long as, you know, I'm on the topic, what we found um, piloting this for the first two years with the biggest university system that I'm not allowed to identify publicly <laughs> is um, that nine uh, about 89% of people, almost 90% of people reported they were able to shift to a better state of mind just by using a tool for five to 10 minutes. And what that taught me as a psychologist, and maybe we can get into this more, is just that it's not that hard to do if you take your brain and your body through a sequence that works for you. So five to 10 minutes is enough for most people to make a shift to a better place, not to a perfect place, but to a better place. So then that's where I am today. And um, I spent a lot of time focused on that company and that work and then see some patients and we use that research to inform the product as it develops. Mm -hmm. So as a clinical psychologist uh, through education, at one point did you come and realize or think about using technology as a tool for those suffering from anxiety? So you took a lot of the science-based approaches or already proven methods of shifting yourself mentally um, and when was that moment for you? When did that click for you? And how did that come about where you're like, wait, technology, could we have that tool in our pocket? Could we implement like an app or something on our phone to like help people shift the yeah. mind? So I'm not sure I could identify the exact moment, but mm-hmm. I know a couple of the moments that led up to it. I did an an internship at the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Clinic which is it was at University of uh, Massachusetts Medical School, and that was founded by John Kabat-Zinn, who's um, really responsible for a major amount of research on mindfulness. And mindfulness is very connected to stress reduction, which overlaps with anxiety reduction, right? So I learned how much powerful information and skills were out there to share this. 
And then on the other side, you know, as I mentioned before, I think all of us were seeing if if we were alive um, and old enough 20 years ago, that technology was beginning to kind of make a, a an impact. And how how and it how could we uh, share that knowledge that's clearly there in a way that's streamlined through technology where it's really scalable became a question that I thought, oh, now I'm not sure the shift concept took a while to, uh, to come. And that really is just, it's a way to frame, you know, getting into a better state of mind, right? Uh, meditation is one way to kind of talk about how you could use tools to get into a better state of mind. So yeah, it happened over time. Um, and, and I talked about before a lot of trial and error around what worked and didn't work. If people, if the frame isn't right, um, for the for what you're trying to share, then people won't use it. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of it is how do you talk about it in a way that resonates? Mm-hmm. So uh, when someone comes to you, Sean, um, and when they're feeling hopeless, when they're really suffering, they feel stuck, they've been practicing the same pattern of living for a long time, the same pattern, the same mind or the same story keeps playing out in their, their mind. Um, where do you go from there? Uh, do you ask the right questions or do you get to know their background or like, what, what do you start to do to help someone who's, who's like, um, just hopeless, Sean, where do I go? Yeah. 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 So, so let me kind of how I, what happens in my mind is I break it into kind of two categories. And one category is the really sort of catatonic, can't get out of bed, deeply depressed. Maybe it overlaps with anxiety, but just really can't, um, can't care for, for yourself appropriately. And in that case, a lot of people, um, a good percentage of those people would need like real support, ongoing support, maybe inpatient support where they're getting 24 seven care and they kind of can get nurtured back to health. And so, and I've worked in those environments in my practice, it tends to be a more traditional psychotherapy practice where people come once or twice a week historically. And so if you're able to like, let's say the other group is you're able to actually get to therapy you've decided I need some help and you're in a place where you can do that and you motivate yourself to do that. So you kind of have cleared that hurdle. And so if you do get in my office, I really love the question. It it relates a little bit to what we talked about before for me in terms of one of the insights that came to me that made me realize, oh, this is this is not as hard as it looks. Right. And the reason that I I realized that is in my first 10, 15 years of doing therapy, there were very few times. I mean, very few. Ninety nine plus percent of the time when someone came into the office and we sat down and we began to engage, um, within five to 10 minutes, we were in a good place together in that room. We were in, I, I found and thinking about it, that what's happening is that, you know, there's this setting where we have this intention to address an issue or a set of issues and we're coming in and we're going to work on it together. And, and I'm bringing, you know, myself, my presence, my, my knowledge but really what's happening over the course of that first five to 10 minutes is that we're syncing up. You know, there's a lot of research that our brains sync up, these mirror neurons, we reproduce the emotional experience of the person that we're with. And what I noticed in those 99 plus percent of times is that we came into a good place together naturally. We're hanging out, we're usually having some laughs. Oftentimes, you know, someone's bringing in whatever struggles um, are very present from that day. 
we have our treatment plan or whatever we're working on, but it's like, what happened? What's, what's going on right now? So it's what's present. And then we shift together naturally into a, a state of sort of a collaborative presence for lack of a better term. And so it was from um, that recognition that I, that I saw, Oh, if you are the type of person that you just described, or let's not say the type of person, you're a person who's in that place in their life with the anxiety or the frustration or the, the, the sadness, the depression, and you're able in five minutes to hang out with someone and be in a good place for within five minutes. Um, and we might drop into much deeper work for the rest of the session where you are sad and you're, you're really, you know, working through emotions, but that nugget of, no, you actually are able to be in a good place because you prove it to yourself every week when we sit down together uh, was a really powerful um, insight to me. And it's evidence to the person that I'm working with that they have this skill set in implicit in themselves. And so now we have, okay, I can do this, but most of the time I'm this. Now let's work from there, you know, and that's learning the skill, identifying when the moment comes up, that trigger out of the presence and in, into the anxiety, into the depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, you know, maybe that's a good place to kind of <laughs> continue the conversation from. But that's that was an insight. I said, that's crazy, man. People are coming in in their worst place. And within five minutes, they're they're okay. You know, the anxiety that they're talking about that lives with them in the rest of their life has taken a break. Not mm. really because of me. It's more because of the intention they came in with and the expectation, I think, that that, that setting um, affords them. Mm. So once you've proven to yourself that you can spend time in the good place, now you have a... Um, I think what we could call a sort of a target for where you want to move to. That's fascinating. Would you, would you word it like state anchoring? Like a, like, like it's this expectation that you speak of. Where do you think it's coming from? Is it, do you think it's coming from because they were lonely or not heard or not understood by other people? And then you could like, or is it the lack of human to human connection or missing out on that? Um, yeah, I guess that's the best yeah. way to put it. Would you say it's like that? Yeah. yeah. So, so to me, the, the origins, the origin story for each of us is, is unique and mm-hmm. probably all of those things you just mentioned applies depending on the person's history. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the um, reality, I think, for all of us that's shared is that the anxiety, if that's what we're talking about in this case, it could be depression, it could be anything, mm-hmm. is produced in any given moment, regardless of that background, by the internal experience that's occurring. In the internal experience, as, as you know, but I'll kind of go into it a little bit for, for listeners, that um, entails the thoughts that are occurring inside you. It entails the images that, you know, might be associated with those thoughts, the old stories that get provoked, um, you know, based on anything for some people that might be based on waking up in the morning, <laughs> you know, very, very uh, persistent triggers to that state. So the, the term you used before, what was it? State, state anchoring or something. Yeah. Something. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think that really applies there, but, um, but the, 
the alternative of that experience of being present with someone, I think the way one way to think about it is that we come into our first five minutes together, we become present together. All of that inner experience that that I just talked about totally shifts naturally. It gets um, silenced because your attention is focused on something new, a new context. And so that it's the beautiful part of that to me is that here you, here you go. You, you know, you have a, um, an environment and an experience that's totally counter to what's typical. And now the challenge is, okay, if I'm spending 24 hours a day roughly in my anxiety state and I get five minutes a week in this one, that's not a great balance. And so how do you how do you move from there? But at, at least that nugget, that nugget of insights that I can do this, uh, I think is really, really important. And, and I, you know, I'll just highlight what sits in front of that is saying to yourself, I believe, you know, this can change enough that I'm going to go get help. I'm going to go talk to you or whomever, you know, I know you work with a lot of people on this stuff. So the first step is I need to recognize this is uh, a mutable situation, a changeable situation. Absolutely. No, I, that's that it very well said, Sean, I think, um, for me, when I used to suffer from anxiety, um, I just remember being so damn internal, right? It's just, I was so focused inside and not present, not mindful, not caring about, you know, the people around me, putting everything on the back burner. A lot of the time I was in like this depersonalization, walking around, not paying attention to things like one time almost getting hit by a car. Cause I'm just so laser focused on like, all inside. All inside. Absolutely. So that made that resonated with me when you said that. I was like, that makes sense. It was like you're bringing this, you're bringing their attention from this internal state outwards into this. They're not thinking about themselves and they're, they're not so consumed by the emotions. They're like, oh, we're interacting, we're relating. Like, look at me, look at you kind of situation. I think yeah. that's. Yeah. 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 And, and I think the other piece of that in terms mm -hmm. of to get support is that, you know, this person's whole job and intention is to support you. you know? Right. So you feel safer. You should. I mean, hopefully you do. Um, yeah. So that makes it a lot easier for for the average person to be a little bit more more sort of vulnerable and and mm -hmm. connected. And you mentioned this before. Uh, maybe we didn't even highlight it enough. Yeah. The, the connection with other people is a huge piece of bringing yourself from the inner inner world focus to the outer world focus. Mm. And I think you can do both and not be anxious, right? Your, your inner world can be a beautiful um, environment to, to play with ideas and play with, I mean, in, in the end, your relationships exist <laughs> internally, right? Yeah. So when you're not with that person, they are replaying inside you. So yeah. The real um, value of doing this kind of work over time would be that that kind of gets internalized so that that inner experience starts to shift a bit consistently. And, and to me, the, the, um, the bridge from one to the other is knowing that I have a, a skill, a tool, a skill set, and some tools that when I'm in a bad place, which we all fall into, whether it's 24-7 or twice a week, um, that that when that moment comes, we can recognize it, identify it, and then have the tool to to as I talk about shift it. Yeah, that no, I want to dive into the shifting aspect of it. Where do you begin with somebody? Oh, I, I guess two questions. One, could you please elaborate on the shifting? And then two, um, what could people do when they're not 
with you when they're at home, or, um, when they're throughout the day, when they catch themselves in those states uh, that that come up because they're so well practiced. Um, so yeah, those two questions: what can you do at home, and how what is shifting? Yeah. So so again, shifting is a shift is how you learn shifting, right? And a shift is a short digital experience that guides you into a better state of mind. Mm. And, and the way that it it works, at least in the One Perfect Shift platform, is that you come into the app and you identify I'm feeling anxious or sad or lonely. Gotcha. And then you, based on your history of using those shifts, you get a unique personalized shift um, served up to you. And it guides you to a better state of mind based on what you asked for. Mm. Um, you know, there's all sorts of tools that I start to turn nerd out on when I talk about this. But the ones that I love the most are um, in those uh, tools, you're able to actually record your own voice so that when you do a shift, you can embed into it your best strategies that in your own voice that you've developed. And for a lot of people hearing a lot of people hearing their own voice is like off-putting actually for at the beginning. But if you can get to the point where you can um, articulate what works for you and basically create a shift for yourself, that to me is a is a um, indication that you really know clearly how to do this for yourself. And so it starts out with guided and it tries to guide you into being able to do it for yourself in your own voice. Um, so there's that. And then the the reason that I'm talking to a lot of people about all this right now is that we're adding to this um, project a live component so right now you come in and it's all digital you know an audio experience or, or a video experience that guides you but we're adding um, live shifters right so you would come into the app and say i'm lonely and then all the um, folks like yourself for example might show up as a profile and say yeah i want brad to shift me because i resonate with him or you know maybe it's an audience member i choose him he appears live on my screen and he shifts me. And so um, part of the reason I think that's such a beautiful idea is sort of twofold. One is that we know that um, the human, we talked about it already today, the human component is so big for, you know, everything in terms of how we feel. And the second is that the, um, the value of giving someone that experience to you, the shifter, is... Uh, the research suggests it's even more benefit than the person who's getting shifted is. So if you're sharing, not only are you um, shifting yourself as you shift someone else, right? Because you're going along with them, but you are um, you, you're contributing to another human's, you know, life here. And that the 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 benefit we personally get from doing that is proven, and it's enormous. It's a little bit you know counterintuitive to people that when you give, you get. But um, all of this ties together really nicely. And my, my fantasy is that, you know, if, if we had a volunteer requirement for worldwide, it would be give five, 10 minutes of your week to teach someone or to guide someone into a better place. You do that, you get benefit, they get benefit. We all learn how to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's sort of maybe the first part of that question. And the other half is... You can go, uh, One Perfect is the name of this company. So OnePerfect.com is sort of where we have the introduction and share with organizations and universities how they can um, subscribe to this for their communities. 
but OnePerfectShift.com is where you can go as a user who just wants to shift for free and um, or get personalized shifts, which you subscribe to and pay for on the apps. Um, so those are really the two places. And you can do it as little or as much as you want. What very recent research that's come out that we've seen has shown is that if you do this kind of thing like five plus minutes a day for uh, 30 days in a row, we're seeing actual physical brain changes occur that correlate with reducing anxiety if that's what the target was. And so if you kind of want to understand how much you need to do to get an effect, that's one way to think about it. To me, the the more, I think, accurate way to think about this stuff is it's it's not 30 days. It's like a lifestyle. And actually, it should be something you really want to do just in the sense of it feels good. <laughs> you know, you feel better after five minutes. So why wouldn't you do it? And, um, you know, for me, I found it very difficult. Honestly, I've been at this for 25 years since the first time I learned to meditate, probably uh, 30 years now that I think about it. Um, I found it very hard to do longer meditation sessions consistently. And that's borne out in the data also. Most people don't stick with it for very long. But five minutes a day with, um, you know, with your morning coffee or your tea, or maybe as you're transitioning at work from one meeting to the next is doable. Uh, it is for me. Um, I've incorporated it into my day as the the starting place. So I'll always first thing in the day, that's where I start. Um I've I found um, one kind of example that resonates with people as you walk, you wake up on the wrong side of bed sometimes, um, and in order to maybe avoid continuing that for the rest of the day or getting amplified, taking that five minutes is super helpful. We've just seen how if you do that, it the cascading effects through the rest of your day enormous. Mm -hmm. So you're setting up momentum, and so you're recommending that. Uh, periodically throughout the day change uh the momentum of probably a negative state you're in and it just switches or it, it turns the page on yep. that emotion that's yep. amazing yeah i love putting it that way you do it at the beginning of the day i think that's ideal if you can figure out how to identify those trigger moments when you you know you're getting into a negative state that's that's another moment to do it um I think the biggest challenge we all have is that when those moments happen, whenever they happen, we don't feel like doing something like this. We don't feel like um, part of that feeling state is I, I, I'm stuck in this cycle of repetitive thought pattern and I don't want to change that. You want is kind of a weird word there, but you just, it's hard to do it right then. And so if you get yourself to, to do it in those moments when you don't want to, I think that's the biggest skill set probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so any other techniques and tools, uh, Sean, that you help or uh, you provide your clients with when they are battling depression or, there's too much in their life to grapple with. Um, any science-based strategies that you've learned uh, studying, not yeah. just from Harvard, but uh, you went to the Uni University of California. Um, what have you learned? NSF, yeah, the postdoc was based at UCSF. Yeah. yeah. Any uh, really radical changes in your clients in regards to the tools and strategies that you have in your tool belt? 
Yeah, so um, I think that the evolution of my learning about this has come, you know, uh, of course, through the practice as you're talking about, but then, you know, my personal uh, practice also. And what I think is foundational is that the capacity to shift into a better state when you want to is another way of what we call emotional regulation, right? Being able to regulate your emotional state. And so if you can learn this foundational skill for, you know, you you could call it wellness, personal wellness. If you have this skill, then all of the mental health issues that people have that are uh, downstream from not being able to do that, you're really taking a huge, um, making a huge impact on that. So if you can just learn that one skill and that's, um, that's why with shifts, what we focused on is meeting people where they are. So, you know, you're, you're, you could be uh, depressed one day mm-hmm. and then lonely the next day. It, it might feel different, but you know, it's coming from the same things that we talked about the internal state. And so um, what we're trying to do is meet people where they are, but to answer your question, it's that foundational skill. And it's not that you learn it once by doing it once it's that you practice it um, mm-hmm. until you feel confident with it. Mm-hmm. So I would say that that's the thing. Um, you know, this is not just a straight upward journey. It's um, it's a trajectory that's got you know, two steps forward, one step back. And um, but if you keep sticking with that particular learning, that skill, practicing it, you're going to have uh, some huge successes that kind of really move you forward and make you, I think, believe and see your life experience in ways that you can't until you are able to do that. Because when you know for yourself, um, for example, in any moment that I do know how to get into a better state of mind within five minutes, totally changes how you cope with that difficulty that you're in. Yep. Uh, I think that's the biggest gift you can give yourself is to get yourself to know that you can get yourself into a better place when you need to. Absolutely. Yeah. I did it the old school way. I uh, I wore an elastic band on my wrist. And whenever I was in a bad state, I'd slap it against my wrist. It kind of like, oh, I'm catching myself. And then I project a positive image in my mind or a different dialogue rational, more of a rational dialogue or, um, you know, cause we tend to treat ourselves so much, so much of society tends to treat themselves as someone they don't really care about. Right. They talk to themselves in such a negative tone. Um, so I really, I really am excited about this, this app, this sh- shifting app. Um, I'm also, I want to dive into how you use uh, VR as a way to shift someone's fears and desensitize themselves. And that's really, really fascinating to me because I think that would be extremely useful. Yeah, yeah. So this this one's interesting because the um, we were talking about earlier, my original research was related to applying technology to psychology. And there wasn't as much back then 20, 25 years ago but what there was actually was virtual reality research on this anxiety issue. And that's largely because it was so expensive that the only folks that could do it were, you know, large research institutions. And largely that included the military. And they were focused on how do we look at post-traumatic stress disorder from folks that have gone into typically into battle and how do we help to treat them? 
And one of the um, nice things about anxiety, if you can use that word, in terms of the treatment models, is that there's a pretty uh, specific treatment structure that works well for anxiety, whereas um, that's not necessarily true for all of the other mental health disorders that you might have. There's a lot more maybe variability in the experience of depression than the experience of anxiety. Um, and so the way that you would address depression is is not as uh, structured and maybe we could even say linear. And what I mean by that to, to address your question about, you know, how the VR is used in that scenario. And by the way, um, this shift technology is what we call 2D. So it's in an app, which is, you know, on your mobile phone. It's not in virtual uh, reality, but I have worked in virtual reality for uh virtual reality for psychology companies before and directed their psychology and developed those products. So I do know a little bit about that. I have a little background in it. And um, and so what you do is it, the, the reason virtual reality works really well is what you're trying to do with someone who has anxiety that's triggered you know, by certain events, like maybe you developed a phobia of driving or you have a phobia of heights or a phobia of people or um, whatever it might be, is that you want to um, get yourself to approximate that experience, but in a safe environment, in not a very intense version of the experience initially. And then as you're able to like, for example, go into a virtual reality experience where you're driving, but you're alone on a side road and eventually work your way into you're going over a bridge with all this traffic, you can slowly um, give those experiences, have the person work through them, get comfortable with this one and then step up to this one and then to the next one. And within not too long a time, you're seeing that um, you, you've totally shifted the experience for, for, for yourself if you're doing it mm. or for the person if you're the therapist. And so there's a lot of – and so, you know, in the military example, you're approximating the experience that's the scariest repetitively and you're getting the person to a place where they're able to be in that experience but also be present and able to process the emotions that are coming in a way that's constructive, as opposed to just spinning the spinning mind with all the thoughts and fears and, and flashing images and memories that constitute, you know, spiraling into anxiety. Mm -hmm. So uh, I do believe, and there, there are some great companies out there now that have virtual reality for psychology, um, anxiety, particularly products, public speaking has been around for a long time, where you can approximate the situation that terrifies you, um, slowly. And, um, you know, the same way, in some ways that we're talking about shifts, repetition, you know, breeds change. And so you, you keep doing it and you get there. And and with that example, it doesn't take forever. I mean, it's person to person, but it doesn't have to take a long, long time. Mm -hmm. So that's so fascinating that um, you're putting the client into a situation via virtual reality and you are i guess essentially making them bored you're, you're you're making them experience the situation that they're fearful of until their amygdala calms down and gets bored of that situation then you can move up a level that's a yeah. little bit more intense is that right and then a little bit more yeah. intense yeah yeah your physiology will acclimate to the experience if you sit in it long enough Amazing. and it's not a fun experience but when you're doing it with a therapist who's, you know, there to support you and you're um, titrating up slowly enough, 
it's mm-hmm. it's uh, manageable. It's emotionally manageable, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And if you have horrible experiences like war experiences, then this is this takes takes some time. But yeah, I like the way you put it. Just mm-hmm. um, you get a, a board, something like that. You're able to tolerate the experience in a way that's not triggering you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so with the shifting, do you find that the clients get so good at it that they sometimes don't even pull out the phone because they, they pulled out the phone so many times. They, they implemented the strategies implemented by the application. And then they get to a point where they're like, Oh, I just shifted there and I'm I'm not using the phone. I think that's a brilliant point, Brad. Yes. I mean, a hundred percent. That's cool. That's how, that's how I live it now. I mean, the reality we both know is that the present moment is (laughs) persistently here. It's always one moment away if you're not there. And so to the degree that you can associate, and it's a great point, I think, because the virtual reality example really applies here. It's like once you've associated that solution with the solution, then you don't necessarily need to go through it. Now, that said, I think there's enormous value in spending extended intentional strategic time in presence just because you get so fed by clearing your mind of everything else. Mm. Uh, But yeah, I think it, it gets to the point where it can be used really well to kind of immediately switch yourself. Um, mm-hmm. But to me, it's so pleasant to kind of spend time in with the intention of being in the present moment with yourself alone for five minutes a day, which is so short um, that it's worth doing either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I, You know, one way to ask that question to me is like, does, can this generalize to your life, the rest of your life? And it's a tough question to research around this stuff, but my, you know, my experience is that, yes, that is the trajectory of doing this work. I love that. Um, I always want to ask the people I talk to what they are currently implementing or uh, the habits that you are currently implementing, Sean, in your life that has really helped you to establish that mindfulness or that health and well-being. Yeah, yeah. So I'm um, I'm looking at myself on the camera here today and noticing the bags under my eyes, and I think that's partly because I was sick all weekend. And and what I find is when I'm not well, um, that was physical. Um, it could be emotional also. You know, you slip into a tough spot. For me, that would happen maybe overnight. Um, one of the real impetus for me of developing this stuff was not sleeping well overnight or waking up with spinning thoughts and couldn't get back to sleep. And you got to get up in the morning and it goes and goes and really saying, I need to solve this problem. Like this, I don't want to live with this. And this is, this seems solvable. Um, And so both of those are examples of those moments when um, you're not doing well and you, um, and so, and I turn to these, these tools in those moments. And so just, uh, yeah, just a couple examples of one in my, in my own life, I would say that I use it and I'm just so grateful that it, that it's there because it wasn't there for me before until I knew it was a solution. And, and the other reason, um, I think those are important to think about is that that's when your resources are lowest, right? You're feeling sick. You're not, you're not feeling um, capable of doing anything, the negative thoughts kind of emerge from the physical poor non-well-being. And same with overnight, you're actually, when you wake up in the middle of the night, all your resources aren't there, you're half asleep, you know, you you can't fight off these these thoughts in the same way. 
But if you can learn in those moments to address them effectively, you know, now you really, you know, that you've learned something um, that you can apply anytime. So where do you think those thoughts are coming from? I know I exactly, I know what you're saying. Like even for me, um, you know, getting up sometimes after a poor night's sleep, the mind instantly goes, oh no, or like, oh, here we go. Like, how am I going to get through the day? I didn't get enough sleep. It kind of goes in that trajectory yeah. is it because human beings in general just have problem solving brains it's like oh no how do i solve this problem of feeling bad or like why am i feeling bad let's look inwards and see what's going on internally and it starts to obsess over every little detail is it because of that is because we just have problem solving brains we go to the negatives all the time I think that is most of the answer is that, yes, we're structured to look for problems in the environment and to solve them. And so um, in those in those moments, if you're lucky enough to have them when it turns off, your instinct is to still look for the next problem to solve. And so the silence doesn't really last. And you know, the right. sad part of that in some ways is that it's a fear-based orientation to the world it's like a, there's a problem even if it's not there i'm going to cycle through past problems to kind of make sure they're not there and then you know this all starts we as a child when you learn through language and as soon as you learn language it's like you start thinking and thinking in language and but i think you're spot on i've heard that talked about a bit and i think that is the the correct answer it's that you're overtrained to do that and some of the stuff we're talking about today is the training the other direction on it of it's okay. Just um, give yourself the experience of being at peace for a minute at a time. And you'll see you're in your, your brain and body constructed of 30 trillion cells. You're just a bubbling sort of genius of a miracle. It can take, uh, it can take that information and really incorporate it. So um, you don't need to understand everything but but getting the experience of being in a good place for a minute at a time, it shifts so much about your life. But yes, that's that would be my answer if someone asked me. So it's like, and then that's the question. You're that's the question that is the foundation of today's podcast. Is like, well, how do we change that state of mind when it starts to go down that path? And we just talked about that, you know, like shift shifting from one negative state to one that will help uh, reach your better self. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I actually love also that you brought that up towards the end here because um, just knowing that right about yourself, when something comes up, that this is actually a very natural human um, instinct, whatever we want to call it pattern and um, is a very helpful thing to know because that takes some power away from it. It's like, it's not real, real. It's searching for something real, maybe. Um, and I think you're an expert, right, with CBT and all the all those um, ways of approaching this stuff. So, and that's embedded in that concept is, um, you know, it, it is your thoughts that are going to cycle and it's natural to have those thoughts. And now it's also uh, possible to learn skills that can redirect them in, in um, trajectories that are going to get you feeling better. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I love that. Um, and I think for me, I want to know before we conclude our conversation, Sean, um, any throughout your career working with the people that you've worked with, people who really are in dark 
hopeless places, any an insights to that really stood out for you, big moments where you're like, oh, this is, you know, I see the commonality between everybody I'm working with. Um, is it, is it, do you find that everyone that comes in, there's always a pattern of that mindset or how you want to look yeah. at it? Anything that stands out to you that you're like, oh, wow, this is. Yeah. Yeah. So two, two things come to mind, um, not to be overly redundant, but the first was something we talked about earlier, that first five minutes, everybody's able to come into a better place than they were when when they walked in or or when they were when they decided let's start therapy um and so that's common across people i've seen we're we're all capable of of finding presence in a present environment and what was the other one um i don't know it'll come back to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah i love that we all have the abilities to be mindful to to separate ourselves from you know you're not the story that's playing out in the mind you can be more than that there's more yeah. to it yeah right? that's just someone's narrow perspective yeah 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 and i actually the so the other piece of that that i was thinking about um is that no matter what people come into therapy with and this isn't totally universal, but kind of universal is that it turns into relational issues. So it's usually something having to do with something with another person that you're going through. It could be loneliness or like lack of another person, but that tends to also relate to human to human. So we're we're very social creatures, even if you feel like you're an introvert and that's not um, how you identify yourself or that's not in your, your sort of personal uh, personality profile that um, other people, maybe it's how they judge you, but it's really your relationship to others. Um, it's important to understand, uh, helpful probably to understand that that we live in relationship to other people, even if we don't <laughs> want to, even if you think you don't want to. So you come in because you're having a hard time at work, but what's a hard time at work? Well, it's, it's people or, mm. you know, it tends to go back to the home life and, and to the people. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I love that. I think that is a, a perfect place to conclude. Yeah. Dr. Sean Sullivan, I am thankful and grateful that you're here and to share your wisdom. And I learned a lot today. Thanks so much, Brad. It was great talking to you. That was fun. It's great uh, talking yeah, to you. Talk again sometime. I'd love that. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Brad's Powerful Anxiety Recovery Program is now available at unpluganxiety.com. The Anxiety Project Program is downloadable and puts the power of anxiety recovery in your own hands. Visit unpluganxiety.com for more details. Recovery starts now.